Clustered conversations. Clustered conversations. By Weka. All right. Hey, welcome back to Clustered Conversations. I'm Bob. And I'm Josh. And today we're joined by Tom Taylor. Uh, Tom uh, is one of our partners slash customers, uh, you know, has worked with Weka quite a bit. And uh, just get to know him a little bit today. So, uh, Tom, how about you introduce yourself to the, the group? Say hello. Hi there, guys. Thank you so much. Uh, thanks for having me here. Uh, I'm Tom Taylor. I'm the founder of Gunpowder Tech. Uh, we're essentially systems integrators who help people navigate the cloud, um, try and bring their traditional workflows out of their own data centers and into the cloud providers. And uh, yeah, super excited to be here. Super happy with, uh, with my experiences with Wecker and just excited to share them. Awesome. Awesome. So, uh, so quick question, what kind of uh, workloads are you seeing kind of moving up? I mean, is it media entertainment? Is it uh, financial? What is it that you're mostly seeing or, or are you more focused on? We really focus in on images, right? So whether that's architectural or gaming or VFX, uh, whether that's advertising or, or long form, you know, we our, our customer base are people who need GPU spec workstations with central storage, um, traditionally Linux environments, uh, who have a big fat render farm behind it, um, either working on-prem or within the cloud providers. So it, it really is quite a wide gamut of who who our target audience is. Um, our bread and butter really is VFX because that's kind of where my experience comes from. Uh, I've been working in VFX about 20 years. I'm originally South African and I, I started work at a post, pl post place over there uh, coming from corporate IT and I fell in love with the fact that I didn't have to wear a jacket into work every day. Um, in fact, we were encouraged to wear flip-flops um, or sandals. I'm not sure, depending on where you are in the world, that's... Uh, what the non-commenture is. Um, and I've never looked back. Um, I've just really, really took to the art and took to the, uh, took to the VFX world. Nice. Wow. Cool. So uh, what, yeah, what are your favorite the, tools uh, to use there? Sort of like, you know, are, are you, are you a I mean, Maya guy? Are you an After Effects guy? Are you a, what's, uh, what's, what's Tom's personal um, preference? Good question. I mean, you know, being an engineer, you kind of have to know a little bit about every single application. Um, I would say the majority that we see are Maya Arnold based workflows. Uh, but every now and again, we'll get a, a smattering of a, an architect who comes in who's got a Windows, you know, Studio Max V-Ray workflow, uh, who's looking to render some stuff. We just did a really, really fun project um, for an artist called Urs Fischer, who has an um, exhibition on at um, the Gagosian in New York. So we got approached and they basically the ask was, hey, uh, we need to spin up 10,000 render nodes with uh, RenderMan. Can you help us? Uh, you know, and, and 10,000 render nodes is larger than I've ever done by a factor of a few zeros. Um, so it was a super, super fun project. We, we literally broke everything that we put in front of it. Um, you know, you name it, we had to put a load balancer in place. Nice. Um, and they were just ramping up and up and up. But it's, it's a super, super impressive piece. If anybody's in New York, I strongly encourage you to go and have a look at it. Uh, it's essentially a 10, 10K image on a large screen um, with 2,000 objects built in 3D that all sort of interact and refract and reflect. And it's it's... Yeah, a hell of a lot of rendering. Wow. Is that like a, just like a, a, a rendered video sort of on a loop sort of situation or is it? A yeah, yeah, it's, a, it's on a loop, but essentially every single item in, in this piece is an NFT as well. Uh, so the <laughs> overall piece is an NFT and then all one of those 2000 objects uh, you can go off and, and purchase. Um, wow. 
again, super fun project, um, off, off the, the, out of the norm for us, you know, traditionally it's like, Hey, we want to spin up a Maya studio and we need 20 artists working. This was a, we've got a single artist who's doing this piece and we really just need all the horsepower in the world behind this. It sounds like it. Um, wow. Yeah. Some, some fun statistics. I think we were reading off of the cluster at around 400 gigabytes a second, um, <laughs> which is the fastest I've seen anything in my life go. Not bad at all. Yeah. Especially in an actual, you know, real workflow. That's impressive. So, so I guess, uh, which clouds are you uh, most, uh, most interested in? I mean, which ones are the ones that you really like working with or, you know, is there a special one or are you, you know, okay with everybody? Uh, I mean, we're, we're, you know, we, we, in my previous role, I had a, a relationship with everybody. Um, now we, we have a relationship with everybody again. Um, we, we sort of lean towards GCP. Um, we, we have, uh, we're, we're a build partner in there. We have, um, a product that's essentially a, a studio in a box that's in the marketplace over there. Um, it sort of allows people to spin up their own studios, um, by purchasing this, this thing through the marketplace. And what kind of makes us different is we're not a, a software as a service, so you don't click the button and we disappear. Um, we really customize it and build it for for studios so that, you know, no two studios are the same. Everybody's mm-hmm. slightly different, although everybody might might still be using Maya. Um, so, so we kind of sell our systems integration into that and we built it in a modular fashion. So you can be as, well, we can be as a light touch or as heavy touch as, as our artists um, or as our customers need. You know, I, I keep trying to say to everybody, I, I built a product that I would have sold myself um, at my previous role being the, the CTO of the mill. Um, we can't get tied into specific things. We can't get tied into specific vendors. I really want a, a modular piece of software that that ties in with what I've chosen. Nice. Cool. Something that can go everywhere and not... You know, you don't have a yep. long-term relate or I want to say relationship, but long-term sort of contract sticking you with a you know a single, single exactly vendor, single location. yeah yeah something that uh, something that's flexible yeah I mean that's that's one of the sort of best promises of the you know, quote unquote multi cloud is right is being able to go to you know whichever provider has the features or benefits or relationship that, that you want to use yeah I mean nowadays it's it's almost um, a given to if you're a large company to be multi cloud. Um, you know, with, with GPU availability and hardware availability, a lot of people have pushed their workflows into the cloud. Um, so, so they're feeling the pinch on availability. And I think if I was starting my own, my own VFX company today, I would, I would try and make sure that I touch as many bases as possible just to make sure that I can service the work when I need to service the work. Right. Sweet. I mean, so I was curious about a couple of things there. I mean, it sounds like the render workflow uh, is kind of really been good in the recent days about being remote, right? A lot of people working out of their homes or other home countries or uh, how are you seeing that as uh, people are coming back to the office? Are you seeing it still stay remote because companies have found that it's just much more efficient or are they bringing people back into the office and asking for how do we get this stuff, you know, centralized again? Oh, I mean, that's the million dollar, well, multi-million dollar question here. Um, you know, my company exists because of COVID. Um, we literally saw a market opportunity and, and spun up and we've, we, we've been, been benefiting ever since. Um, I think it, we, can, we can debate this topic till we blew in the face. You know, I, I don't know if I have a personal preference or if I'm seeing a particular trend. Mm-hmm. I guess... I guess the trend that I'm seeing is a lot of senior management want to get people back into the office and a lot of the artists want to stay at home. Um, It also depends what 
department you're in, I find. Um, you know, if you look at traditional advertising, the producers, you know, the producers, I felt really sorry for them for COVID because their role is to connect people and their role is to stay on top of people. And what that translated to during COVID was a million and one Zoom meetings every single day. Um, whereas previously, they would have been able to just open a door, pop their head in, ask a question and get a response straight away. For some of the artists, um, you know, if you're a lead artist, you're, you're almost playing that role of a producer, but you're also holding the timeline and holding the edit. So you need quick answers and you need to be able to have your team around you and be close. But if you're a 3D up working on a shot, the last thing you want is somebody popping their head in and asking you how you're doing. Um, so it, it really is like a 50-50 split that I've seen of people that want to get back in and people that want to stay remote. Nowadays, I think the, the key is flexibility. Um, you know, I've definitely seen a lot of online forums and stuff of people saying they, they refuse to go back into the office and some people refuse to be, be remote. So it's, it's a flavor that you kind of have to pick and you kind of have to pick your favorite. And if you're a management team, you need to try and pick which direction you're going and, and double down on it and just make sure that you've made the right decision. And there might be some fallout along that way with that decision. Um, you know, so, so I don't think I can really answer in terms of, of efficiency or, or whether or not people have been less or more productive working from home. I think it's all an individual case-by-case -case basis. You know, my engineers, I, I particularly hire engineers who I know will be happy working from home and who I know are comfortable. I, I like to refer to them as responsible adults. You know, I'm not going to micromanage you. I'm not going to sit and, and make sure you're doing your work every day um, because I, I, I whittle, whittle that out in the interview process. Um, I want to make sure that my guys are, are comfortable and happy and, and kind of self-starters and know what they're doing. And I would hope that that any senior management around the world is doing the same thing. Yeah. So Josh and I are, are basically been working from home for the most part. And I think even if yeah. we had the opportunity to go in the office, we still work from home because yeah. uh, we can get so much yeah. more done. But yeah. in, in especially in the, the artist world that, that you're talking about, uh, even before COVID came, I, I remember having conversations with a few studios. And they were always talking about remote artists, right? Basically going where the artist is, having the data available where the artist is, whether he's in New Mexico or New Zealand, right? Anywhere yeah. in the world. Because it's just easier that way to be able to hire an artist than have it, it, who's good rather than mm -hmm. finding an artist who's good in a particular geography. Yeah. Why, why limit yourself, yeah. right, to the specific yeah. geo? That's been the biggest benefit of this pandemic for, for companies is they've really been able to staff the jobs with the talent they want rather than the talent that's available. Right. Um, you know, and the, the, the irony is this technology has been around for the last 10 years. Um, when we were at the mill, we had a big data sensor and we had all our equipment in there. Mm -hmm. um, they still do. And everybody had a Teradici on their desktop and that's how they would connect. So when, when the pandemic hit, we got a couple hundred people, well, I think over a thousand people working remotely in sort of two days. We just said to everybody, right, pick up everything you've got in your desk and go home with it and plug it in. And carry on working you know we really just took that ethernet cable and extended it over the internet into their houses nice. um so so it was it was relatively easy for us but there are a lot of people out there that really really struggled particularly you know the houses that are like the editorial facilities that are built on macintoshes and maybe the the, the remote software wasn't quite up to par or hadn't quite caught up but um i i think you know, it, it, nowadays there's there's kind of no excuse to not have a solid remote pipeline. Right. Was there not much of a of a difference when you went from you know kind of a you know, a Teradici you know, PC over IP on uh, on a LAN versus now 
on somebody's WAN connection, who knows where, adding that additional, you know, handful of milliseconds or dozens of milliseconds of latency, did that not have an effect on, you know, workflows or efficiencies? Well, the, I mean, I always say to everybody, the brain compensates. Um, you know, if you're at home and you've got an additional quarter of a millisecond of latency, your brain compensates for it to, to a degree, obviously. If there's 10 milliseconds of latency, like, no, you're never going to compensate for that. But if there's a, a slightly, slightly slower delay, um, use it for a few hours and, and you're going to get used to it. You know, it's, it really is one of those things. And they've, the companies have put in a hell of a lot of R&D over the last two, three years into their software and into their technology to make it as good as possible. Um, and I think the, a big shout out to all the artists around the world because everybody was, was really accommodating and really understanding with their engineering teams. Um, it was a big ask and a big sort of, uh-oh, we don't know if this is going to work moment. Um, and the artists were, were very accommodating, very helpful. And, you know, everybody in the world was trying to figure out what was going on and how long this was going to last. And people worked with their engineering teams, or at least I found people worked with their engineering teams and worked with us and, and were very understanding and very accommodating. To, and everybody just wanted to make it work. Everybody wanted to make it better. You know, I think the, the big worry at that time was this is going to shut down the economy completely. We're all going to lose our jobs. Um, well, those, those of us that are left. Right. Um, yeah. So it's uh, so so. You know, again, I, I don't think they get enough shout out saying thank you for being accommodating to your engineering teams. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The world awesome. did change overnight, and we and remote became more important. The cloud, all of a sudden, as important as it was the last decade, it, it became that much more central to people's businesses. Oh yeah, it's exploded in this industry. I mean, you know, we in our first week, I think we got hit up by ten, ten to fifteen clients saying help. Um, we want to move into the cloud. Nice. So, so in that moving to the cloud, I mean, uh, I would imagine like what sort of challenges did you have like infrastructure wise, like how many iterations did you have to go through until you finally landed on sort of a set of products and solutions and technologies that really meshed well together and made the experience workable from a, you know, a remote or sort of cloud-based VFX shop? Sure. I mean, one thing that I keep telling everybody is the cloud really is just somebody else's computer. Um, but it also comes with an infinite scale. You can grab a slider bar and drag it up. And if you've got the pockets for it, you can get a really, really fast computer. Um, so the way that kind of we, we decided that we needed to release this app selfishly was for our engineers. Uh, I had a very good friend um, spin up a facility on sort of day number one of COVID. Mm -hmm. He, his, his brief to me was, we need to be 50 people on day number one, all based around the world. Um, we don't have any data centers. We don't want any data centers. We don't have any physical footprint. We don't want any physical footprint. Uh, so we sort of spent three weeks, three to four weeks, um, doing what we, we had done traditionally on our old hardware in the cloud providers. And during that process was when I got hit up by a whole bunch of others. And I found, you know, I found certain tools that made it easier and certain tools that made it harder and whittling it down. But during that process, we got, we got contacted by six or seven clients to say, hey, we want exactly the same thing. And that's where I kind of figured out, okay, I think there's a product here. I think there's something that we can build for ourselves that our clients can benefit from. Um, you know, and the whole point is to like abstract people out of the cloud console because not everybody's, everybody's cloud certified. Mm -hmm. Uh, it, it's a pretty scary place. If you open up a console and have a look, there's a, a hell of a lot of things in there. And if you click the wrong button, you can do something really bad. Or cost um, you a lot of money. 
Or really expensive. <laughs> yeah, yes, right. exactly. Or really expensive, yeah. So, you know, we, we, uh, we've been developing this app for, for the last two years that I said is available in the marketplace. For, for vendors, again, it was we contacted all the traditional people who we'd, we'd been working with. Um, you know, PC over IP as an example, I had years and years of experience with it. I knew it worked. I knew what was possible with it. So that was a complete no-brainer for me. Uh, storage was a bit like going back into the dating game. Um, where I, I tried multiple vendors until I found you guys, um, until I found somebody that I liked and I'm, I'm sticking with. There we go. Cool. And so what made you, you know, stick, stick with Weka? Like what, um, how was that experience? How did that go? So uh, there's a company in New York um, who were, were quite early adopters of you guys. And uh, their, their CTO is a very, very good friend of mine. And we were at NAB. And he asked me if I wanted to come and join in a conversation with with Weka, and I I was like, okay, yeah, let me go, let me go join in. I mean, I'd I'd heard about you guys, I knew knew what your clusters sort of did. Mm-hmm. Um, all I knew that is that he gave me a bit of a demo, and I had storage envy, which I never thought <laughs> I'd have in my life. Um, I was watching it going down. This is actually really really cool, and like what's available, what's possible is really really cool. Um, and I kept thinking, like, okay, there's a catch here somewhere. There's a catch here somewhere. Like, I've, I've, you know, I've heard it's very expensive, or I've heard it does this, I've heard it does this. And I was chatting with Barbara um, from Weka, and I said, hey, just a, you know, as an example, could you price out one of these for me with this throughput and this throughput? And she came back with a number, and I was like, hang on, you're, you're missing a zero there. Uh, and she was like, no, no, we're not. Um, and I think it's just to the way how you guys, that you know, the, the big secret to me. Well, it's not really a secret, but the big advantage is how you guys read and write so quickly from the object store. Uh, the object store traditionally has always been seen as an archive tier, yep. right? So you work on your data, on your NVMe or your SSD tier, and when it's old and nobody wants it anymore, you dump it off to the object store and you just forget about it. With the tiering system that you guys have, I mean, we're starting to see really, really good performance directly off the object store. I'm sure that's always been available, but we've never really had an interface to the object store that I can plug a Linux computer on and go, all right, give me data as quickly as you can go. <laughs> um, with a Weka, it gives you that interface and it gives you, you know, tangible numbers where you can say, all right, I'm going to read a file off of there and see what happens. And the numbers coming back, I was, I was really, really surprised by it. I was like, okay, well, this means this is possible, this is possible, this is possible, this is possible. And because it's on the object, um, it's really, really cheap. So, you know, I'm, I'm hoping you don't change your pricing model because it's, uh, it, it's really great right now. Um, to the point that I've sort of tweaked it and, and whittled it down and we really run barely any of the NVMe tier. We're really just using that for caching the metadata and the rest of the stuff, all our, all our clients are just reading and writing directly to object. Oh. And just super, super surprised with, with the performance we get. Well, that's actually one of Josh's favorite tricks is when he does a demonstration for customers. That is one of my favorite tricks. Yeah, yeah, he runs the entire demonstration off object store and then goes, now you want to see what it does out of NVMe? And really yeah, no, exactly, exactly. <laughs> because Again, because there's nothing that I can do today to give me a good interface for for my applications, like an app, application level, it's basically NFS access, right, or, or POSIX access. Like, I want I want access that a Linux machine can understand, that my application can understand, that I can load up a file sequence, click play, and see what it does. Um, 
there's a load of command line options for interfacing with the object store, but none of those mean anything if you're a Maya artist. You want to load up your sequence and you want to hit play and you want to see how quickly it plays. Yeah, or, and, and more importantly, how smoothly, right? So you don't have a bunch of exactly. jittering and jittering exactly. and waiting for things to happen. Absolutely. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's one of our really interesting party tricks is, is that backend yeah. object tiering, right? Like, Yeah, so... so yeah. Off, off the back of that meeting at NAB, um, you know, I, I basically told told Barbara after she she showed me the the rough estimate. I was like, all right, well, I want to get rid of my storage and be like, help me roll this out everywhere. Um, and since then, we've replaced a lot of storage with Weka. It's been super impressive, super easy. Um, the documentation is is really really good, I must say. Um, right before this call, I was actually busy rolling out a cluster for a client of ours. Um, I've got the screen open sitting in front of me and it's just waiting for me to add nodes into it. <laughs> and, you know, that's not a support call. That's me just reading the documentation and following it step by step and, and deploying a cluster all by my lonesome. Yeah, one of, the, one of the wildest things they saw is I actually installed a cluster for a customer uh, and left. And then he decided to destroy it because he wanted to do it himself and redid the whole thing and had the whole thing built on his own using the GUI back then. This was yeah. way back when. And absolutely, that's that that's a good engineer. Um, yeah. That is a really really good engineer. You know, you you don't want to rely on your on your partners. You want to you want to keep those skills in house so that when it breaks, and it's two a.m. in the morning, you don't get an out of office from somebody. You know, mm -hmm. kind of what you're doing and how to fix it. Exactly. And that yeah, cluster I, has been running now for three years and supporting 120 DJXUs. Yeah. So not bad at all. Can you share his name? I want to see if he wants a job. <laughs> he's, a, he's pretty happy. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I just recently had a customer like that as well, where um, we were like, you know, we were talking about, hey, we're going to run a POC and, you know, let's, here's, here's the documentation. Here's where you go download the code. If you want to go ahead and pre stage the code on your systems, that'd be great. And, you know, next week on Monday, we'll sit down you know, first thing in the morning and, you know, take an hour and we'll get this thing deployed and ready to go. And that was like a Wednesday, a week before. And like Thursday rolls around. And he's like, well, I have it up up and running. Uh, it looks like I, you know, had a little hiccup here and there, but you know, I basically just read the documentation step by step and uh, yeah. it's up and going. Yeah. I'm like, oh, wow. Okay. You're, I think yeah. you're the first person I've worked with here. That's just taken it upon themselves. Like, eh, I don't feel like waiting. I'll just do it tonight. No big deal. Yeah. The, the other thing that I'm really enjoying that, that I don't know, it could be a secret. I could get you guys into a little bit of trouble here, but <laughs> um, is your support team's willingness to jump on into a Slack channel. Yes. Yeah. I cannot tell you how beneficial that is. Um, That's a standard feature, by the way. Uh, it's it's <laughs> unbelievable. Being able to, to Slack with an engineer and share your screen and just say like, hey, I'm having this issue and, and you get responses immediately. Yep. You know, all these, all these systems that we roll, roll out, they're in production. Right? Yeah. People are, are working on shows, they have deadlines, they have deliverables. In this industry, you cannot afford one day of downtime. You can't afford an hour of downtime. Um, if you're doing a delivery and it's it's that delivery is scheduled for Friday night and it's Friday afternoon, your cluster goes down, you have to get that thing up. Otherwise, it's an unbelievably awkward conversation with a client and potentially financial ramifications. You know, if you're if you're set to ship something on air. And the agencies bought the airtime, and you you're like, sorry, we didn't get you your commercial because our uh, our storage is down. Like that's that's just not an option. Yeah, it's just not an option. So that would be not having that access to support is is fantastic. It's absolutely fantastic. Yeah, like the last thing you want in. is a, a thirty second segment in the middle of the Super Bowl that just says my ad agency didn't get me my ad. 
sort of thing. Yeah, yeah, no, exactly, exactly. Or, or sending an email to support and saying, thanks very much for your email. We'll get back to you in five to seven business days. <laughs> yeah, that would, uh, that would drive us stuff too. So yeah, no, no, good. no good. So I guess, what do you see in the next few years with, uh, with M&E? Do you see it more going towards the cloud or do you see, you know, I, I, I think we've been talking about going to the cloud for the last decade <laughs> or more <laughs> and uh, people go, they put their toe in, they come back out, but uh, we're seeing more people up there, but the on-prem doesn't seem to be going away either. So, I mean, what is it? Your yeah, I, I personally feel like if you're not in the cloud today, you're missing something. Um, on-prem is certainly still around. People still have cash invested in data centers and machine rooms and stuff that sitting on the books. And they still have IT equipment with leases and loans and capital expenditure tied up into it. Um, and the cloud is a big, scary place because if you just take your workload and forklift it up and pop it into the cloud, chances are it's going to cost more than buying that workstation under the desk. You really, really need to change the way that you work and change your whole mindset. You know, I said to somebody earlier, if if you give me $10,000 to go out and buy a computer, I'm going to buy the best computer I can buy for $10,000, and I'm going to hit that $10,000 number. I'm going to try and squeak and tweak the components and make sure I get it at $10,000. Whereas with the cloud, you kind of need to start with $1, and slowly iterate up and slowly like see what is the smallest machine you can get away with for the lowest price point. Um, otherwise, you're wasting money. You know, right. if, if you go and have a look at, at like a high-spec machine traditionally. So, mm -hmm. you know, we, we, we work with Autodesk Flames quite a lot. Um, now, they were multi-million dollar Onyx 2s that took up a whole machine room. or There were two, two racks, depending if you had a big frame store or not. Um, would get commissioned by by an a engineer who flew out specially for it. You know, it was a big, big deal. Um, and and nowadays, a lot of people go out and buy their biggest computer they can get for a flame because they know they, they, they need that performance. When they hit play, they want it to play. But what happens when you're not using that performance? Like all those CPUs are just sitting there idle. And if you start having a look at metrics on the, on on these workstations like if you put a, a simple monitoring package on it you'll see that they only ever burst up for like a minute a day hmm. uh, or, or 30 seconds a day do they only really really need that power so you know one side of the coin is you've essentially wasted money buying all those cpus for just a quick burst um, whereas with, with the cloud, you, you need to build your workflow to be able to scale for when you need those 30 seconds, but for the rest of the time, whittle it down to where you're, you're not paying for those, those CPUs to sit there idle. Um, so yeah, I guess that's a very, very long winded way of saying, um, the, the our economy, clients are certain, I was going to say the economy of the cloud is better than on-prem. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's. So, so let me put it this way. So there's big fragmentation happening in the entire industry right now. Um, lots of people are splitting off, starting up uh, facilities, and they get a couple of shots and they work on those shots. And then they go, you know, go on holiday for three, four months and get new, new shots on the next feature and then pick those up. And it's a lot of hard work. It's, it's very stressful, but there's a lot of downtime in between. Right. Now, that would never, ever have been possible pre-cloud because you would need to go out and have so much capital to go out and purchase that equipment to be able to, to service those shots and do those shots. So 
those those companies that have one or two owners, no private equity, you know, they don't have five, six, seven million dollars lying around to go out and, and buy these massive bits of infrastructure for a few shots. Um, whereas in the cloud, like the, your capital investment is is nearly nothing. Um, it's it's a monitor and a couple of licenses and a Wacom tablet. Um, so so that I'm seeing a lot of. So it it all really depends on your situation whether you're going to stick on prem or whether you're going to go into the cloud. I think for companies out there that aren't in the cloud whatsoever, you're definitely missing a trick. Um, at least for rendering. You know, rendering is probably the most affordable thing to do in the cloud right now, um, making use of, of, of spot instances. Right. Um, and, and, you know, once you're rendering there, like, doesn't it make sense to put your storage and your workstations there as well and just remote everybody back? Everybody's looking at their physical footprint right now. Everybody's trying to figure out how many people are going to come back into the office. Do we need this 10,000 square foot facility? Um, a fun exercise we did at the mill a few years back was we figured out how much a rack cost us oh. um, in our Soho-based office, mm-hmm. in, our, in our data center. And I, I'm sure I'm going to say this number, and somebody who's there who, who, who was closer to the project is going to say, like, no, it's not. But <laughs> I, think I think we figured out it was around 14,000 pounds a year for an empty rack. Wow. Wow. Yeah, before we had anything. <laughs> and that's with your power, your air conditioning, um, your rental, you know, so having that empty rack was around 14,000 pounds. Now, that's a lot of money. You know, if you go in and build a facility that's 20, 30, 40, 50 racks, it adds up really, really quickly. Um, when we built, uh, I built an office in Chicago. Um, and on day one, I think they had like 20 employees, but we had to build a machine room with 20 racks in it just in case. What happens if the company blows up? You know, what yeah. happens if we if we suddenly get a movie in? How are we going to deal with this? You really, you know, you sign a ten year lease and you basically need to, need to size your data center for anything that can happen within the next ten years. Yeah. Or in three years' time, you're going to have a, a really fun project of moving stuff all around and trying to figure it out and you know trying to pull the ripcord on a few things. So, to me. Um, yeah, I guess guess the, <laughs> I guess I don't know. <laughs> Very long answer is I, I I just don't know. I know what I would do if I own my own company, and that was would be um, be fully cloud. It's interesting. Well, especially it's it's kind of an interesting topic of discussion with regards to how to you know cost maximize or cost minimize, depending on if you're on prem, you have your own equipment, you want to try and probably cost maximize the the investment that you have right there you want to you know have as much in pipeline have as much in standby waiting to make use of everything so everything is as used as possible versus in the cloud where you just use as much as you need to and then cost minimize when you're not running at full speed exactly and that's the step that a lot of people forget is cost minimizing Right. Um, so, so you get people who get some really uncomfortable conversations with the cloud providers who get their bill at the end of the month and go, well, hang on a second. Why is this so expensive? Like, well, you and, let that you know, P4D online for literally Exactly. The answer is because you used it. Yeah. Um, so, so, you know, you maybe can argue that you need slightly more staff in your technical teams to manage it. But in the same breath, you can have a central team who can roll out global infrastructure. Yeah, we actually uh, have seen a lot of customers taking up the uh, auto scaling groups and uh, the the alike in the other clouds as well to mm-hmm. be able to 
provision Weka when they need it, as they need it in, in, to incorporate into their workloads. So it also, since we're able to shrink, we can deprovision Weka as they need it when they need it. Yeah, very true. Yeah, I, I got to I got to come clean. I'm a little bit too scared to enable the uh, the auto scaling. Um, <laughs> it's it's my last clutch that I'm holding on to that I haven't quite given up because I'm sure it works, but somebody's going to submit something to the farm that they shouldn't have. Um, and, uh, you know, I don't want to wake up in the morning and we suddenly got a hundred node Weka cluster. Well, it will go back down just so you know, once the job's done, mm-hmm. yeah, it is at hundred yeah. nodes. It'll scare the crap out of you for those hours though. No, totally. I, th- I think that's purely just a, a me thing. I, I actually spend most of my time uh, farming our cloud formation templates as well, making sure that people aren't leaving stuff running in the cloud. Cause it's like, sure. guys, your demo was an hour ago. Why is it still up? <laughs> It's yeah, fun. I mean, we we have that. You know, we do demos of our product to people all the time, and at the end of the month, our accounting team says, "All right, where's this? Where's this? Where's this?" And I go, "Whoopsie, sorry, <laughs> got to take, take stop." Why are there sixty-seven instances of this still running? <laughs> all right, yeah, I need to shut yeah, those down. Exactly. Yep, I I clean that up exactly. all the time. Yeah, yeah. Bob is the cool. shepherd of the of the AWS account. That's for sure. Yeah, not, not quite a fun. You know. Uh, a recent, well, recent-ish project we've had was we were approached by a film vendor who, who had no physical premise um, in in a few continents. And we were able to provision them a couple hundred machines uh, all around the globe from, from Los Angeles. It was me and three other engineers. And we, we scaled them incredibly quickly, uh, just something that never, ever would have been possible previously. You know, you, you would need an engineering team in each site and then you'd need to get your mechanical and electrical contractor in to build your data center mm-hmm. to size it. Mm-hmm. It would take you months to do this project. Absolutely. Um, and we did it in essentially a couple of weeks. I think we got Los, the Los Angeles office up and running first, which which started off as, hey, we need five people running, um, you know, that old chestnut. And then <laughs> suddenly five <laughs> turns into 15 and 15 turns into 25. And then it's... Hey, we need to get Mumbai running in two weeks. Um, so we we jumped on that and got that on board. And it's it was just a, a super fun experience for us. Um, and and again, you know, the, the the hottest topic right now for all our customers is leveraging talent from all around the globe. Yeah, very true. Yeah, and that's actually kind of what we've been doing as well. We've been uh, uh, as a remote company, even uh, on a different scale, right? Our our talent pool has been all over the place because we can hire who's very good at storage and understands what they're talking about anywhere in the world, which is kind of nice. Yeah. yeah. The other uh, benefit of remote for, for myself as a business owner is I'm suddenly able to service four, five, six customers a day. Yeah. You know, I'm not getting in my car and driving to Burbank and sitting with a single customer the entire day. Um, Although it, it, it does take another skill of juggling people and making sure that the right fires are being put out at the right time, but I'm able to, to service a lot more. Uh, and be far, far more productive than if uh, if I was, you know, at a single client's facility all day. Yeah, and uh, Josh sure. and I can also attest to that because we uh, we we basically are logged into a VPN at three different companies. That someone sends us a teammate, somebody jumps on a Zoom, and we jump from yeah. customer to customer across the world all the time, and it's oh, fun. Yeah, yep. I mean, I, that's the most fun that I have at this job, actually. <laughs> yeah, chat chat applications are the bane of my existence. Um, I, I have like four Teams accounts, like 20 Slack accounts, <laughs> 20 Google Meets, like 12 Zoom accounts, you know, and, and depending on the customer's choice, like, I, I mean, I try and, and push everybody into Slack, but some people just, just won't budge. Yeah, I, was, yeah. Uh, I was a little tough on Slack when I first started, but now I don't know how to live without it. Yeah, Slack yeah, is great. Likewise. Slack is great. I've been using Slack yes. for for years and years and years. My my friends and I have had a, a shared chat that we've 
have going for probably about 10 years or so now. And we've gone from like Google Hangouts to Meet to to Skype for whatever reason and Slack and probably a few others in between. We always threaten to just, we're just going to use IRC, whatever. But <laughs> we, we've yet to fall back to that. But that might happen eventually. Eventually we'll go back to IRC. But. You never know. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> no one needs to go back to IRC. Everyone needs to go back to IRC. At least, ha- at least have a, you know, a, a built-in plug-in so that no matter where you are, whether what pro- like you're using Slack, you're using Teams, you're using Google, whatever, you can still use IRC and use all of it at the same time. That, that's the billion dollar that billion time. dollar company. Yeah. <laughs> any any that. interface you want, but connects to everything. Exactly. But IRC always works. Yeah. <laughs> well, cool. Well, I guess uh thank you very much, Tom, for your time, man. This Absolutely. was fantastic. I mean it's uh, great. Do you wanna give any contact information where people can find you? Uh sure. My my contact is uh, Tom at gunpowder.tech, um, or you can email us at, all at uh, info at gunpowder.tech. Um, we're, we're super, super thrilled to be partners with you guys. Uh, it was a complete no brainer from my, my perspective. Um, you know, and it all started off not by somebody selling me something, but rather me with my own eyes, looking at somebody else's cluster going, Ooh, that's quite nice. Um, you know, so, so the product sells itself in my perspective. Um, and it keeps the CFOs happy because it's, it's, it's inexpensive. So I think it's just a win-win-win all around, you know, and we're, we're really looking forward to the future and just growing with you guys. Awesome. I appreciate you saying that because a lot of uh, the FUD out there has been that we're expensive, but that's uh, the opposite are true. And just, uh, you know, those that I, game you have to play with the uh, procurement people have a high price so you can discount. I was under that impression yeah. um, until I sat down in that room and I, and I saw, saw the price for myself. There we go. Cool. Perfect. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. You much. Uh, I guess for Cluster Conversations, I'm Bob. And I'm Josh. And we'll talk to you guys next time.